Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Clausen. You're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Amy Straley, who has a powerful story about heartache and poor relationships and how she found restoration and is now living out her fully restored story. If you or someone you love has experienced any type of an abusive relationship, this is the episode for you. This is also the episode for everyone to hear, because sadly, if we don't know someone now who's experienced an abusive relationship, we will at some point. It could be our neighbor, a friend at church, our worker, family member, or friend. And I am so grateful to have Amy on my show today. Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast, Amy. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much for your time this morning. And also, you know, we had talked a little bit about your heart um, for caring for others. And um, just thank you for that as well. Oh, absolutely. So before we jump into the seriousness of our topic, I always like to share some fun facts. So... The first fun fact about you is you like to cut down trees, small ones, of course. Me too. <laughs> I forgot. I sent that to you. <laughs> so when did this love for cutting down trees start for you? Well, I have a woods behind my house and there's always trees falling and always branches. So I have, I have a real love for starting fires, actually. And along with that just came... I like to clean up the woods. So you have to cut things down to clean them up. Yes. (laughs) But I don't use a chainsaw. I use just a handsaw. So it takes a tremendous amount of effort. So it's really good physical activity. And and someday I'm probably going to get hurt because I do things I shouldn't do. (laughs) But there is nothing more satisfying than taking down a tree. (laughs) Well, that's wonderful. And you're cleaning up and... um, Right. And it's a lot of affirmation and and seeing the results of your hard work and blisters. Yes. And the other one is you love to hike and you often travel to do so. I do love to hike. I included my children in that. That was something we learned post-divorce is really how to travel together, how to travel alone and how to plan our trips. So we've been to quite a few different places with this specific destination of we're going to hike here and we're going to hike here. And in the beginning, you know, they really didn't appreciate it, but they have grown to really appreciate it and even start to think about doing some of those things on their own. It's been a good healing process, actually. Well, and that's a good segue to kind of jump right in. So Amy, just tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do in your family. Okay. So I'm a single mom. Of course, that's what some of this is about. I have been a single mom going on, I think, nine years now of two kids, 19-year-old son and a 17-year-old daughter. I work outside the home or I have always worked outside the home until recently. I have kind of done a switch in my career 
which has led me to an opportunity to work from my home, which has been amazing. But I work in the pharmaceutical industry. I have always, I have always done preclinical work. And now in the last, just in the last month, I've switched into a role overseeing clinical work, which is totally different. So mostly right now I am a student and learning like I haven't learned in a really long time. (laughs) That's really my life right now, being a mom and working and taking care of our home. It's more than a full-time job, I guess. That sounds like it. And what a big switch for you recently and being able to work from home. It seems like there are quite a few in the pharmaceutical industry, like overseeing the clinical work and stuff like what you're talking about, that do work from home. I actually have some friends that are involved in some research and different things. And just the pharmaceutical industry in general, there's a lot of people that are now working from home and having Zoom meetings because of the pandemic. And they've talked about that they think that that's going to continue even long past the pandemic. Yeah. And it's new for me. So, you know, a huge blessing for me after spending 25 years going to work every day and and working through the pandemic, that was a huge challenge. So yeah, it's a big blessing. Um, it's, It's not easy, but I'm enjoying the transition. Well, wonderful. So Amy, could you share with us about your story? You know, take us back to what happened and the steps you took after your 17-year marriage. Yes, I'll start kind of trying to start after the marriage. I'll give a brief, just real touch, like briefly on the marriage, just to give some context. But it was an abusive marriage. And I, I share that in some other podcasts that I've talked about, kind of the details of that. It wasn't always, you know, abusive. It wasn't like an everyday thing, but it was verbally abusive. And in the end, it had escalated to some physical abuse and then really took me about a year to decide I'm just not a year, you know, 17 years kind of accumulating. But that last year, really thinking I was, I'm finished with this. I'm not, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. I can't do this anymore and left that marriage and entered into a time of pretty tumultuous chaos, anxiety, almost exclusively living in anxiety, fear, a lot of fear of my ex-husband, whether that was real or, you know, there's so much spiritual warfare going on when you're in that type of a situation. I'm not sure if it was grounded or not, but to me, it was very real and spent a great number of years living like that, progressing through getting, you know, healing. The healing process really takes a long time but always thinking that I was healed or always thinking that I was doing so much better after that initial year of just total chaos, but really not really walking straight into a life of doing what I wanted, of um, following uh, the pattern of the world for individuals walking through divorce, living in sin, being pretty selfish, self-centered, but also doing whatever it took to not feel like I was drowning in anxieties. So a lot of my behavior was catered to not feeling like I was going to drown. Yeah. There's so much there that you just said, Amy, that are really powerful. So I want to touch on a couple of things. When you were saying that that last year that you were thinking, I'm finished with this, and I'm just thinking about the listener who maybe is in an abusive relationship. What helped you get the courage and the strength 
to leave? So really, there were two things that happened. About a year before I left, there was an incident that it, it was about the bed not being made. To be honest, um, I had it was a Friday evening. I had worked all week and at the time he wasn't working and the sheets needed to be put on the bed. It seemed so silly. And I was very nonchalant about it. And my response was, you know, we'll make the bed. The sheets are in the dryer. It's not a big deal. And for some reason, he took um, tremendous offense about that. And that was pretty true in our relationship over the course of almost, gosh, 20 some years. We dated a long time before we got married. You know, you never quite knew what was going to just really spark a response in him. And um, for whatever reason on that day, that sparked a response in him. And he was, he got very angry with me and was yelling and screaming. And I ended up in the laundry room, which was, that was a pattern in our behavior to our, in our relationship too. I'd always end up in small spaces or, you know, corners that I couldn't get out of. And he was a pretty big man and I am not a big person. And he had me in that corner in that laundry room and was just screaming at me and spitting on me, like, you know, purpose collecting spit in his mouth and spitting on me and calling me names that you just, if you haven't been in an abusive relationship, you can't imagine the kinds of things that they say to you. And I was really angry when I look at our relationship, it kind of went in these groups of five years you know, the first five years, I was just really trying to figure out how to please him. I was very, I was shocked. I didn't understand. So I was just always trying to accommodate or change my behavior to make sure that he was okay or that he felt loved or that I didn't do anything to upset him. And then that second five years of our marriage, it was more just let him get through what he needs to get through because I knew that once he kind of exploded and, and did his thing, that it would calm back down. And so you, I changed my behavior to that to more like just endure through whatever he needed to do to let that dissipate. But then that last segment of our marriage, it, it wasn't like that. I was getting to be angry. You know, he, he didn't work a lot during the course of our marriage. So we, I had kids, we had a house we really couldn't afford. I was working a lot. I always had a, jobs with a lot of responsibility and was the primary breadwinner of our home. And so I was just starting to get really angry. I was starting to be bitter. And I was starting to fight back, um, say things back. And that would escalate those incidences. And like I said, when I first started talking, it wasn't that those were all the time. You know, It was that we went through spans where it was okay. And then something would trigger something. And you would know when the trigger was coming, you could start to feel that energy build or, you know, his response is kind of getting more and more on edge. So you towed the line. You spent your whole life towing the line. And by the end, I was just really sick of it. I was mad. I didn't like the impact it was having on us as a family, on my kids. I was starting to see him respond that way to my children over the course of those years. And so that particular night... I was so mad and he wanted me to leave. He was trying to kick me out of the house. And I felt very strongly about the fact that I had been paying for this house, that I, it was my home. You know, this, if he wanted to leave, he could leave, but I wasn't leaving. So it escalated into a physical incident where he had me almost like hogtied, but with his hands. So he had my hands in one hand and he was trying to get my feet in his other hand so he could physically throw me out of the house. 
And I was so angry and I was fighting back and he was trying to push me out the hallway and he was kicking me and I was getting thrown against the wall. And in the end, and I don't remember how it ended, but in the end, I was, I was hurt, bruised, you know, like my head was so bruised and my, in the sides of my arms. I can just remember for a while after that, I, I didn't sleep. I couldn't turn over because I was so hurt. That was the incident that said, okay, I'm finished because it was to the point where if it happened again, you know, maybe he was the one to get hurt. I was that angry, but I just knew it couldn't happen again. And at the time he didn't have a job. And over the course of that year, as soon as he got a job and I had wanted him to get a job for a long time, as soon as he got a job, I knew I was finished because I didn't feel the burden of having to take care of him. I was like, okay, you can leave. You know, I've taken care of you for this long. You can leave. And that was really the trigger for me. And what happened after that is it, you know, I didn't think that he loved me. I thought actually, to be honest with you, I thought he would be relieved when I said that I was finished because there was no, I didn't feel loved at all. I didn't feel cared for. There was no intimacy in our relationship at all. It was very, very transactional, which I think is what happens in those type of relationships because you spend all of your time trying to, someone said it's like a checkbook. That's a really good analogy. I am continually making deposits in this checkbook so that there's no overdraw because once there's an overdraw, it goes crazy and he gets angry. So the relationship turns into something that's very transactional. And when you're done transacting after all those years, you're just totally and completely finished. But what happened after that is it really escalated into a time when he really couldn't control himself in terms of how he responded to me or how he um, behaved towards me. And so he was in the house for probably eight weeks or so after that, after I said, we're, you know, I need, we need to go to counseling. I'm done. And when I said we, my timeline is getting jumbled here in my, in my head. So I really apologize if I'm going back and forth a little bit. That's okay. I, that's okay. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you need to um, course correct me, please feel free to go ahead. But so I told him I was finished. We needed to go to counseling. I didn't love him anymore. And the next day I had to go to work. So I went to work. It was Good Friday. So I came home early. By the time I came home, he had already told our kids we were getting divorced. Um, he had already told his mom we were getting divorced. So he just totally overreacted with what I was trying to communicate to him, which was pretty par for the course. And so what happened is it just escalated into this full-blown chaos in our home. And before he'd always tried to hide it, it was pretty private. But after that point, it was in front of our children. It was very loud. It was continuous. We had separated kind of parts of the house. So I stayed in one part of the house and he stayed in the other part of the house, but he would always, the screaming at me and the yelling and the name calling would start very early in the morning and it would go very, very late into the night. And that happened pretty continuously for about eight weeks until he finally was able to get him to move out of the house and had filed for divorce in the meantime and had started counseling on my own. I think he started counseling as well, but really just during that time, just trying to survive in those first couple of months. And even after he left, um, he would still come back to the home in that name calling and that screaming and that really trying to instill a lot of fear in me that continued and that that continued for years through phone, through text. And 
there were periods when it would stop, but really that first year, it was nonstop. Tens of thousands of texts just on repeat, repeat, with the verbal abuse just totally escalating out of control. So where that left me was living in fear and anxiety. And like I said before, trying to figure out ways to survive in those ways ended up being not healthy ways. They ended up being drinking a lot, spending time with new friends that I made along the way, spending time with men because that felt safe. I was really looking for places that felt safe, even if they weren't safe. Yeah, that lasted a long time. As you're talking and sharing, I'm thinking about, because I work as a licensed counselor and a trauma coach, I work with people That's my area of specialty is trauma and abuse. And what you're talking about, that anxiety and that fear and that fear of your ex-husband, of that tumultuous time afterwards, there's hypervigilance. Hypervigilance is where we, um, it's a sign, a symptom of PTSD, of where we're always on edge, always fearful, jumpy, nervous just that on edge feeling. And some people are like, I can read a room really well. Well, we read a room really well because of the trauma we've experienced. So we know how to read people. And it's very common for the abuser to continue to try to control you. And that's what he was doing. And then on the other side, it's really common. It's it's a pretty high percentage of individuals who've experienced trauma and abuse that we go to unhealthy coping skills to try to deal with the trauma and abuse and the memories and just to be able to feel safe. I mean, you're saying all of these things, and those are things many individuals say after they've experienced trauma and abuse. Often what we do, this is just kind of like a little side note, just thinking of the listener, is We get filled with shame because of our choices in trying to cope. But we're just trying to cope with something that is very unbearable to cope with. Like we're we're just trying to feel safe. We're just trying to find peace and, and safety. Safety is a huge thing for someone who's experienced abuse. And then we shame ourselves. We shame ourselves because it's a pattern, because that's the way the abuser spoke to us. So then we shame ourselves. Is that something that you ever struggled with is low self-esteem and low feelings of low self-worth or shaming because those negative words had been spoken to you for so long? So it's interesting. And as you talk, you know, I can see all of those things now for the individual in it. Yeah. You can't see anything except how do I breathe? You know, what, what is the thing that lets me breathe? And And you're right. Most of those things at that time, you know, very vulnerable. Satan is after you. He wants to destroy you. So the things you choose tend to be things that either repeat those patterns, put yourself back in situations that are similar to those patterns. And so you're right. And looking back, I can see that now in the shame, you wrap yourself in shame and you wrap yourself in darkness and you live separate lives with separate people because you can't, you don't know who you are. And when you talk about low self-esteem, that's interesting from, from the outside, people wouldn't have guessed that, you know, I had it, you know, maybe for a while when I was really self-destructing people who had known me for a while, but people who had known me during the marriage would not have guessed that 
from the outside, it looked very together. My life always looked very together. I was very successful in my career. My children looked very together. So, you know, there was just very few people who knew about the turmoil that was happening inside the home. But yeah, low self-esteem, that is something that I have had to work through over the course of a lot of years. You know, we're talking, this was 2012, it's 2021. If you ask me, you've, you ask me as one of the questions about restoration, restoration is just happening now after, you know, we're nine years and 17 years of living in it. So that's 26 years. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. And just understanding that, that the thing about shame is I always compare shame to a vine. In fact, I have a chapter about this in my book. But shame gets in to the, the foundation, our core belief system. So if you think about vines growing on houses, most houses, it's not good for vines to grow on them. You know, like you see it on stone houses, but most houses, you want to take those vines off because what happens is they get in and they separate but, and they get in between the foundation and the house and they begin to separate it and deteriorate it. And um, it's not good for the house. And that's what shame does to us. Shame comes in and gets into the root of our foundation, our value, seeing who we are, Christ, and begins to tell us and confirm to us all the negativity that's been spoken to us, the negativity of the things we've experienced, or looking at it another way, when a vine goes around a tree, it wraps around it and actually can kill the tree. It basically chokes the life out of the tree. And that's what shame does to us. It takes the life of God out of us. And we begin to believe, as you're talking about, you know, that that Satan is out to destroy us, which is truth. He, he is out to destroy us. And what is one of the best ways he does that is in our belief of who we are in God and our value, that our value is found in Christ. And so then we continue self-destructive things or we put on our masks and everybody thinks that life is wonderful, but they don't know what's going on inside. And the other side of that is, is abuse. It's not about social status. It's not about gender. It's not about race. It's not about any of those things because abuse can affect all. And so here on the outside, it looked like life was wonderful for you. And people didn't know what was going on, what was really happening in the house. So you grew up in a Christian home. Let's kind of trans go to this next spot here. You grew up in a Christian home and in Bible study and the church, yet after leaving the 17-year-long marriage, abusive marriage, you found yourself chasing everything but Jesus, which is what we're talking about. So what led you to this path? Let's get into that a little more because I think that there's a listeners that are, that are in that spot right now that, you know, there are the listeners that are in an abusive marriage or relationship still, and then there are those that are out of it, but they're continuing the same pattern, destructive patterns. Can you talk about that? It's interesting. Even looking back, it's hard to know why. And it wasn't necessarily that I, you know, stopped those things. 
So I still went to church. I tried to do Bible study and I would go and I would just weep the entire time. And I still took my children to Wednesday night church. So we still, I still was trying to do those things, but, and I don't know if it was the attraction of what the world offered. It was a life that I had never lived before. I didn't live that party scene in college. I hadn't done it in high school and it seemed attractive and it was fun. And for a while, while you were engaged in it, it like everything didn't hurt. Yeah. Alcohol was a big thing. I wasn't really healthy. I didn't eat very well. Um, you know, I, I ran and I drank. Those were the two things that I did. I didn't sleep during probably the course of that first year. And so drinking became a way to not feel. It hurt me to be away from my kids. I had never really been away from my kids. So when we did the parenting split time, I would drink to get drunk on purpose because then I knew I could sleep off Saturday and I would, and I could only have to survive Sunday before I'd see them again on Monday. So it just became a pattern. It became a pattern of dating because I knew I would have fun if I was drinking while I was dating these people I really didn't want to be with. So I think it was more the attraction of it. It was the numbing quality of it. And it, it wasn't all unhealthy things. There were things that I learned to do during that time period that were healthy, hiking and traveling, spending a lot of time outdoors, even cutting down trees. You know, there were things I learned to do that would become healthy tactics later. But in the beginning, it was a drowning. It's just so hard to explain it. I don't know why I didn't choose Jesus. And I didn't abandon Jesus. I, I still prayed. I remember specific times when he was present or when he was trying to speak to me. I think I was so angry. I felt like I had done everything I was supposed to do and I didn't quite understand. And he did, he was never, he was real to me sometimes, but I didn't think he loved me. You know, I didn't count on him to love me. That took a long, long, long time. Even later when I would turn to him and as he was really just healing me and becoming my savior to me, knowing that he loved me was one of the last it was really one of the last things that I learned to live in. Yeah. One of the things that I see, um, and this is based on my own experience, and this is how God gave me that revelation, is in abuse, there's so much that is damaged in us. Um, there's things that are broken. There's things that are damaged. There are unhealthy things. And one of the damaged things is we get a damaged spirit. And in that damaged spirit is the core of that is about love and about not feeling loved or not feeling lovable. And there's a wall that is between us and God. And in part, it's about, God, if you're a loving God, why did this happen to me? That is a question that, and I don't know if that's a question you had, but that's a question that many have about why. And so we get angry and we're hurt. In fact, in my book, I have a chapter about this. And I remember debating with my editor and she's, because I, I talk about, you know, we need to forgive ourselves, We need to forgive God. And then we forgive the abuser. And often in the, in the church, we tell people, you need to forgive the abuser. And we forget, no, we got to forgive ourselves because we, we have a lot of blame. Then we got to forgive God. And then we go to the abuser. So we have it all mixed up in the church. 
And I remember having this debate with her saying, how can you forgive a God who is not to blame for what happened? And it's about our perception. Our perception is, God, why did you let this happen to me? And so we become angry. So we have to forgive God because we're angry at God. And it's our perception of God. It's our perception of the whole concept of free will and what that means. And it's okay to share with God, I'm angry at you. I'm angry. But then we feel guilty. I can't tell God I'm angry at him. So we just kind of stuff it down inside. But our damaged spirit is saying, is talking it through, like forgiving ourselves, and then talking it through with God, talking through the anger and the hurt and having those conversations because there's that wall and we can't embrace his love. We can't accept his love if we have a wall. Wow. We're going to go ahead and pause our interview right now. My interview with Amy was so good that we continued well beyond my normal show recording time. And so you're going to be able to hear the second part of our interview next week. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love. I would love for you to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. And I would so appreciate it if you would leave a rating or a comment as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. People look for those ratings and those comments as to whether they're going to listen to a show. I would love to stay connected with you as well. So be sure to find me on Instagram and my Facebook page. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I look forward to sharing the second part of our interview with you next week. And remember, friend, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with Jesus.